0: Our message today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 and 22. Then Peter came and said to them, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And then Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. This is the word of our God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, David. Before um, we jump into a really easy topic, such as, uh, do I have to forgive them? Um, That was the title I was given. Josh did a great job of putting the series together. Do I have to forgive them? I was like, really? Okay. Um, Before we jump into that, I just want to remind you, tomorrow uh, at 7.30 uh, on Facebook Live, Um, I have a Bible study on hope, just a standalone looking at scripture passages and stories that talk about hope. Um, If your world is a little bit like my world, we could benefit from some hope. So when confronted with challenging questions about forgiveness uh, or any other topic in the Bible, I always think that it's a really good idea as students of scripture to widen what we look at. And so, if you look at the whole chapter, or just the 20 verses that come before this particular exchange, you find that there's a theme that's building. If you have your Bible in front of you or a version of it on your phone, you can just scroll a little bit there and you can find that the chapter begins with the disciples asking, Who is the greatest in the kingdom? And do you remember what Jesus says? He takes a child and puts the child in the middle of them and says that unless you have faith like this child, right? He says, um, most certainly, unless you become like little children, you'll not find your way into heaven. Jesus continues to talk about children Talks about how if you harm or um, uh, distract or sway one of these children, that it would be better for you to be drowned in the depths of the sea than to live. Jesus is greatly concerned about those who are vulnerable around us. Jesus continues to tell a story about the parable of the lost sheep. Um, notice that the great shepherd is not content to only find 99 of the sheep. But that he leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one, right? You remember these stories. These are the stories that are before our two verses that are coming. And then verses 15 to 20, Jesus gives a great detailed guidance as to how to handle conflict in the church. Apparently, we need some help with this. Um, The object here is for reconciliation. And there is this back and forth as uh, Jesus instructs how to bring somebody back into the fold. And even if you get to the end of the process and you haven't brought them back into the fold, you should still love them and care for them as if they were anyone else. Notice there's no cutoff there. And so we learn through these stories that no one is too great when they deal well with little ones, and no risk is too great when seeking that one sheep that's still lost. And no effort is too great when we work to restore peace in the church. Our text today, two simple verses, Essentially a question and an answer come after all of this that Jesus has taught. So let's get at the heart of it. What is Peter after? Peter asks Jesus about how many times one has to be forgiven. And, and Peter says seven times. Now, I want you to know that as somebody named Peter myself, I often can identify with Peter, the disciple, Um, Here, um, if I can speak for those of my team of Peter individuals, um, we're trying to uh, impress the teacher. You see, Peter says seven, and you might wonder, where does seven come from? Well, in the instructions around being a rabbi, there is commentary on a passage in Amos, a prophet. And Amos says, um, forgive three times plus one. Uh, It's this idea that you should give enough time. So what Peter has done is he's taken the rabbinical three, times it by two, and added one more just in case. Because Peter may be a little slow, but he at least knows that Jesus wants us to forgive. Now, uh, Jesus responds and says, no, 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 that you've done well with seven, but not just seven, but 70 times seven and some of you are thinking are like okay great i'm an analytical i can do this 70 times 7 490 right um i can keep track of that until it's time to not forgive again but we have to remember that seven was a holy number to the jewish people that that seven um, mimicked the seven days of the week And so when talking about seven, it could be that Jesus is saying that one should forgive forever. Jesus says, I don't tell you until seven times, but until 70 times seven, Jesus answers uh, Peter and demolishes his construct. We're not even sure whether it's 77 or 70 times seven. The Greek there is a little bit foggy. You ever heard that phrase, it's all Greek to me? Regardless, Jesus is trying to make an effort to say, don't keep count. I mean, think about that, right? 490 times, it is hard to listen and to watch and to forgive 490 times, ready for the 491st to wallop them, right? I was a little brother, I know about this, right? Right? You have to pay attention, right? Um, and, and I was a little brother that was devious. Um, m- my sister said forever around her 16th birthday that she wanted a 14-carat gold necklace. And me being just devious enough convinced my parents to buy a package of carrots, and I cut them up, 14 of them. I stringed them on a piece of string. I left them in the refrigerator overnight. We had a Um, a tradition of waking the birthday person up with the gifts. And I said, oh, sister, lean your head forward. I have a necklace for you. And she took it hook, line, and sinker. And the look on her face when she felt those cold carrots on her neck were worth it, right? So when you talk about keeping score, right? My sister would have loved to have kept score until the moment when she could have walloped me instead of forgiven me. When we think about keeping score, keeping score only hardens our heart. It only causes us to get methodical. Jesus isn't teaching us a math lesson here. He's teaching us a grace lesson here. The fact that no one can keep that much record of wrong. We can't do it in our heads. We must do it in our heart. When we think about these numbers, you might still wonder, why seven? I often think that Jesus is completing these moments in people's lives. I talked about this last week. And if I say sticks and stones, you can finish the phrase, right? What if some of these things that Jesus is saying are not just new constructions of ideas, but rather they are the beginning of a phrase that's getting completed. We said that uh, last week about the poor you will have with you always. We quickly found out that there was an Old Testament law that talked about how to care for the poor in the land that your God gave you. So here, um, when we think about this number seven or 77, we actually can go back to Genesis chapter four. This is where God pronounces a sevenfold vengeance On anyone who kills Cain. You remember Cain and Abel? And then, as we fast forward a little bit further uh, to verse 24 in that chapter, Lamech expands it to say that 77 fold of vengeance for anyone who might kill Lamech. So, these numbers 7 and 77 have a place in the mind of the Israelites. It is a conversation about vengeance. It is a conversation about who gets to deal out the revenge and the vengeance. And of course, under that title in your Bible that says vengeance, who gives the vengeance? The Lord does. So these numbers are not made up. These numbers come from uh, the text. And here Jesus is playing on those numbers. Instead of thinking about how much vengeance you can cause, think about how much forgiveness you can give. I have to say that forgiveness is hard. I wasn't really sure if the extremely applicable sermon series could really touch forgiveness. Forgiveness could take years and decades. Many of you know this, Um, the, the challenge of forgiving one, not just those who are far off, but those who live in our own homes. Forgiveness is not a simple couple of steps to go. In fact, I would say that forgiveness begins first before anything else, recognizing that we can only give what we've received. And so in our relationship with God, that is the beginning of our ability to forgive. Once we realize that we are worthy of forgiveness, once we realize that God loves us enough to forgive us, Once we come to the realization that love is not something that is earned, but rather it's something that is given. And all we have to do is accept the gift. Uh, There is um, more words uh, to the process of forgiveness. But if you will um, forgive me, (laughs) um, I'm going to boil them down into three steps. The first step in forgiveness is to repent. I know you're looking at me saying that's a pretty pastorly word to say. Uh, Repent, if you look at the Hebrew word, is teshuvah, and it only means to turn around. There's no heavy religious or sacred piece to it. It is literally stop doing what you're doing, turn away from the wrong, and head to the right. For forgiveness to be possible, one must repent Now, repentance is not just for the one who is violating, but it is for the victim as well. Repentance is our action. We turn around from vengeance if we're the victim. We turn around from revenge. We turn around from lashing out at others. For the victim, we repent of the desire to retaliate. Forgiveness refuses our ability to respond in kind to those who have done us wrong. Forgiveness resists throwing any fuel on the fire and without more fuel to burn, the fire extinguishes itself on its own and provides an opportunity for more to happen. But we have to repent first. The second step is remembering. Now, I'm going to ask you just really quickly because this is the extremely applicable sermon series. What was the first step to forgiveness? Forgiveness. Say it together, one, two, three. Yeah, wonderful, right? So the second step is remembering. Now, uh, remembering is challenging. It creates a dangerous memory because truthful recollection of the past without some sort of care can be dangerous, These days in the social sciences and in therapeutic circles, it is not a good idea to cause the victim to remember and to recite over and over again the tragedy that has happened to them because the body experiences the trauma again each and every time. That's why uh, back with uh, 9-11, you know, um, folk helping professions uh, encourage families not to leave the TV on over and over again. Because as the child sees the trauma play out, their bodies react to the trauma in a similar way. And so what type of remembering is part of forgiveness? Remembering allows for us to tell the story truthfully. Um, Remembering allows us to see our part in it, whether we are a victim or perpetrator, that when we begin to get a truthful recollection, we can then begin moving on to the next steps. I think it's interesting in the aftermath of apartheid in South Africa, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission chose not to issue a broad amnesty, but instead offered amnesty to those who would come to a meeting and speak truthfully of their crimes in the presence of the victims who bore the brunt of their violence. So no prison term, no shaming, no um, punishment, if you'll just come and tell the truth. What a powerful way to find in the midst of a community, a way to remember what has happened. To remember in a way that you can face the past and move on to a future filled with hope. Remembering also provides this shift at a moment, that over time, as we continue to think about what has happened to us, we get to the place where we realize that the whole thing is renting too much space in our heads. And there comes a moment when we renegotiate the rental agreement. And that story that we continue to go over and over again transforms It goes from, I've been hurt, to, I want to change things. And as we move in that way, healing begins to happen. The last step, the third step, is to reconcile. Now go with me on this one. The first step was what? And the second step was what? You're with me, all right. Um, The last step is to reconcile. Love is a gesture of defiance in a world that threatens to implode in hatred Forgiveness slows the cycle of violence and it points all parties towards reconciliation. Notice that Jesus didn't say, do away with your enemies. Jesus didn't say that magically when you forgive your enemies, they'll become friends. In fact, what Jesus says is love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. For someone who's been a victim of violent crime, you might hear them in this phase of forgiveness say, I have forgiven him. That doesn't mean I have to trust him with my life. Believe me, I don't. I'm working to love him as an enemy. Now, when I talked about remembering, uh, some of you have been raised with the idea that good Christians forgive and, oh yeah, you really are with me, yeah. I'd like to suggest that in some situations, forgive and forget is foolish. That really, if Jesus uh, had the right Greek words, he'd have said, forgive and get a restraining order. That there are some people that when we choose to, as, as Anthony said, quit drinking the poison, we've not changed them, but we have changed ourselves. We have reconciled ourselves to what's possible. Jesus calls us to reconcile And let's think about it. The ways in which he brought about transformation. Jesus healed the servant of a Roman centurion. Romans were the enemy to the Jews. He resuscitated the daughter of a religious leader. The religious leaders were uh, enemies. He spoke to women, not just his own country women, but also to Samaritans and Syrophoenician women. These people who were not pure Jews were the enemy of Judaism. He dined with tax collectors and sinners one night and then Pharisees another night. The same day that he um, uh, calls to accountability a rich young man, he then retires to the home of his wealthy friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, women and men, foreigner and native-born, righteous and sinner, each one of these were at odds with each other. But Jesus displayed love to all of them. Jesus treated them and reconciled them as if they were all God's children. It was almost as if Jesus was teaching his disciples if you're gonna walk with me, you can't afford to have enemies. It'll be too confusing to keep track of who they are. Three steps in forgiveness repent, remember, and reconcile. Three steps that are um, simple but not easy three steps that could take a lifetime, three steps that require us to find some habits, maybe even doing something 70 times, seven times. In fact, I really do believe that when the disciples asked Jesus how to pray and Jesus taught them what we refer to as the Lord's prayer, it was no coincidence that Jesus included a line in there saying, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Author Marjorie Thompson writes in an article entitled The Journey Towards Forgiveness about the three distinct translations from Aramaic to English of that line in the Lord's Prayer. One translation is, loose the cords of mistakes binding us as we release the strands we hold over another's guilt. Uh, Second translation, lighten the load of our secret debts as we relieve others of their need to repay them. Are Are you catching the grittiness of the words? The last one, forgive our hidden pasts, our secret shames, as we forgive what others hide. What powerful messages about lessening the burden of others, about loosening the cords that we have wrapped around ourselves and others, about being willing to show in the light what we have hidden for so long. It's almost like Jesus is suggesting that if we say these words daily, that over time the habit will come, that forgiveness will be possible in our relationships with others. Friends, you know as well as I do that life can be about hiding. It can be about covering up. It can be about burying things, obscuring the truth. But the secrets that we hide will eventually find the light of day. The things that we bury have a tendency to be resurrected. It's just the gospel logic. And so when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, and he replied with what we call the Lord's Prayer, When we think of forgiveness, we should think of it as loosening the cords, lightening the loads, and choosing not to hide anymore. Three easy steps, simple they may seem, repent, remember, and reconcile. A lifetime of work can be poured into these three actions. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen.